90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. One and a half week left for fuel You can camp. do it. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, the weather so, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything. We're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everything is fantastic. Everything is awesome. Yes. Everything is awesome. Um, it's interesting, though, because the skies around here are very, very polluted with all the Western wildfires. And everyone is freaking out. I'm like, these wildfires are in a different state, and yet it looks like they're right next door. That's how sooty the sky is. Like, you can't even see, you know, you're familiar with here. You can't even see, like, the big granite mountains as you're driving into town. Wow. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's causing everyone respiratory problems. So it is, yeah, that part is not fantastic. But today was one of the first, like, super, super hot days, which is good since we only have a week left. So We've had a few of those here, and we started our roof water cooling experiment again. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This time with recirculating water. Mm-hmm. So half of the roof, we only have it on half the building right now. Right. Half of the building evaporated 55 gallons today. <gasps> oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't, well. And the humidity was super high today. That's what I was just going like to say. 100. I can't believe that you could even evaporate into that air. Yep, so everybody around here that's complaining that it's humid, I'm sorry, it's my air conditioning. <laughs> Man, you need to start, like, some kind of grow house right next door if you're going to reach those kind of humidity levels. <laughs> yeah, it is. Juicy. It's very intense. It's, it's very juicy, and yet somehow we're still losing that much water. It just blows Ugh, my mind. My gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. Just crazy. I mean, yeah. it's summer. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this is the conditions where we go out and take all of our field trips. Everybody goes and does field camp, or it's time for people to go to national parks, or uh, even to their state parks and see things they've never seen before. And it's a great time to go find cool geology around you. Mm-hmm. And this is something I have never heard of, and I'm super excited. And, yeah. Never thought about this. Yeah, so there are several places around the world, um, Australia, New England, or England, uh, Pennsylvania, where you can find these ringing rocks. So you lived in Pennsylvania for a while. Did you go see these? I did not know about them when I was there, or I would have. Oh, yeah, that's very disappointing, right? You've got to get back up there, and I want to see these as well. Um, ringing rocks. So I, <laughs> you hit them and they make a sound like a bell. Yeah, maybe the, uh, actually, maybe what we should do and for our summer shorts, given the last couple weeks, is uh, it's musical geology this summer. <laughs> That's right. Sing sand, ringing rocks. Oh, man, it's my turn. Uh-oh. This is going to get difficult. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, and we had sand finis, so we got to come up with something just as good for this. Something better than a rock concert? Yeah, that, yep, that's a pretty good one. Mm, yeah, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep cogitating on, on this. Rock concert. music. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That should just be the whole summer theme, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, this yeah, is... Yeah, it's going to get real hard oh. after another week or two if we so do that. funny. So good. <laughs> this is so funny. So my students, one of the things that I learned when I was at field camp and... <laughs> I've passed along, but probably to the detriment, is that to tell the difference between a limestone and a dolomite, you could use, obviously you can use acid. That's the best way to do it. But the other way you can do it is to just hit it with a rock hammer. And if you have something that's in place and relatively massive, a limestone generally thuds and a dolomite generally has a pinging noise. But that's not what these are, right? Yeah, so limestone's like hitting a sack of flour. Mm-hmm. Uh, dolomite's like hitting a big steel plate. Yeah, it's a little more crystalline, kind of makes a tinking noise, yeah. Yeah, and these are, yeah, they're like hitting a bell or a chime in a set of chimes. That is so interesting. But it's also like the singing sand, too, because, right, the chiming is, once you hit them, it's the interaction of the the sound waves that actually creates that tone. It's not the rock itself per se. Well, maybe mm. <laughs> we actually don't know a lot about them, <laughs> which is interesting as, but we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, these are, I found a YouTube video of somebody playing hot cross buns. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I didn't have time before this to go actually listen to them. And I'm very sad about that, but obviously that's what I'm going to do after we're done. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's, it's, like hitting a chime uh you can go find these uh in a big boulder field like it's just a bunch it looks like somebody hauled in loads and loads and loads of subangular boulders that are anywhere from microwave oven to smart car size ah, i don't believe that's on my grain size chart <laughs> it's on the geophysicist grain size chart of course it is <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the ones near the edge of the field seem to not really ring so much, but once you get out into the center of the rock field, most of them do ring. Oh, well, see, that makes even more sense about them vibrating. And if you have ones in the middle of all of that riprap, right? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. Okay. Carry on. What, so, are you, what are you supposed to hit these things with? You can just hit them with a regular hammer and they do this, right? Yep, yep. There's peop, people that go out there with just little, you know, like a carpenter's hammer. Okay. Cool. So nothing fancy. Uh, depending on where you are in the world, but I'm going to talk about the ones in Pennsylvania. And we do have listeners all over the world. And you can go find the details of yours uh, pretty easily. But the ones in Pennsylvania are early Jurassic. Okay. Are they igneous rocks? They're igneous rocks, right? Yes. So these are diabase sills okay. that got injected. And they got injected pretty deep, you know, a few kilometers down. Okay. Which is going to become important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get injected, and then they differentiate kind of oddly. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so you get these big phenocrysts, right, mm-hmm. of... It's upper mantle stuff that's getting injected, this diabase. So you've got olivine and pyroxene. That's what Bowen, Among the other things. That's what Bowen's reaction series says, yes. Yep. Okay, so 
the olivine and pyroxene actually kind of settle out very quickly and form a olivine pyroxene rich layer at the base of the sill. Hmm. Interesting. So kind of like a weird cumulate deposit, but within a sill. Okay. Right. And this actually is almost a separate unit when you look at it. That's interesting. That's about 15 feet thick. So Ow. three, four meters. It's a lot of, a lot of magma. Yeah. Hmm. And these got uplifted uh, in the Pleistocene and eroded. And the, the all the empiricene base was more resistant. How weird. To that erosion. That's really weird. Yes. <laughs> hmm. um, then as we get into the glacial period, they did not get totally buried, but they were instead exposed to these kind of transglacial, paraglacial environments. Mm. So they had a lot of mechanical weathering that broke it apart into these boulders. Man, if only I knew of a podcast that talked a lot about mechanical weathering, I could go back and listen to you. Uh, yes, see an earlier episode <laughs> of so, this very show. How about that? Um, so the boulder field is in place. Like, this isn't something that's been dumped. Like, this is where it got broken up in situ. Yep, it looks like it got dumped, but nope, it sure it's does. exactly where it was in the Jurassic so 200 million years weird. ago. <laughs> Man, that is so, so weird. Well, this was a real special... and. It, being a geophysicist that didn't take IGMET, <laughs> like, I don't know a lot about igneous rocks, but I know this is weird. Mm-hmm. That is very strange. So, I mean, so you've got, I'm assuming it's boulders of both the, you know, sort of normal diabase and then this weird olivine unit. That is so cool. I bet those are beautiful. It says, the, the description that I found of them is that they're all gray. Okay. All right. Never um, so it's not great olivine. <laughs> it's not great olivine. It says that you really have to either put it under a microscope or hit uh, it with a hammer to figure out what it is. Okay. All right. Well, I bet it's really pretty under a microscope. But still. It probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, you get, you get this uh, eroded layer and people observed if i found some references back in the 1800s about the ringing rocks oh cool uh also a fun new geological word <gasps> felsenmere <laughs> uh i don't know at all what that is <laughs> a- uh, break out your german dictionary <gasps> dictionary oh, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah okay so uh mirrors close to mar Oh, close to ocean. Okay. Yep. So sea. Mm-hmm. Felsen. A rock, hopefully, right? Rock seas. Yep. Sea, sea of rock. Felsen mirror. Mm. I like it. I like it too. That is so cool. Huh. Okay. It, uh, well, now I guess there were probably a lot of Germans in this area that named it that. This is not from a ringing rock place in Germany, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I mean, you've got uh, yeah, you've got a pretty large German population I in that meant, part of Pennsylvania. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that yeah. is super cool, Felsenmere. Oh man, I'm gonna try to find a way to use that in the field tomorrow. Well, I mean, Sea of Rock can apply to really about anything. Ex- exactly, so. exactly. All right, I'm gonna try to use it at least three times tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's my that's my goal. <laughs> Ask me next week how I did. So this is going to be your form of the, the meow game? <laughs> yes, All right. Well, let's get back on topic, meow. Uh, so, <laughs> right meow or later. <laughs> right meow. Uh, so this ringing ability, that's the, the weird thing, obviously. And for a while, folks said, well, it's because these are high in iron. Okay. Like bells? <laughs> like, is that, is that the thought behind that? Yeah. So <laughs> if you do chemical analysis on this, which has been done, uh, they're 9 to 12% iron. I mean, yeah, that's a lot, but not, like, crazy for an igneous rock, right? I mean, it's pretty yeah. high. But. Well, I mean, like, granite's 3%, but yeah. if you if you look at a basalt, like, 10%'s pretty normal. Right, exactly. Okay, interesting. I love how people attribute iron to crazy stuff in rocks. We should... I'm. Oh, yeah. I'm writing down some other weird things that I've heard before. We'll, we'll revisit this. Well, and I think you know, they did it because it sounds metallic. Right. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like an iron bell. It makes sense. But still. Yep. And interestingly enough, in my research, I found a reference to that somebody from Rutgers in the 60s did an informal experiment <laughs> on this stuff. Those are the best kinds. <laughs> right. And I haven't had time to dig too deep into this but this also sounds like another one of those topics where you and i need you know last week we said we're going to go do some infrasound and geophones mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh this is uh, needs to be our next quest excellent so uh, what this professor did was take a live rock you know one that would ring and one that did not ring okay from the park sawed them into thin section well not not microscope thin sections, but just thin, thin chunks of rock. Thin slices of rock, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, think coasters. Okay. And then, real quick, glued strain gauges to them. Okay. To see what happened over the next 24 hours. Okay, just leaving them out. Just mm. leaving them out. Mm. Okay. Well, it's an igneous rock, so... I would think that they would relax and you should be able to measure something in them. But what's the difference between the live and the dead ones? So the dead rocks didn't strain after they were cut. <gasps> the live rocks expanded. That's cool. So that means there's significant internal stress, but compressive oh neat okay which is How so weird get that in a boulder that's just hanging out <laughs> like, yeah and i found all crazy. kinds of bizarre ideas <laughs> on this oh. um one had to do with the weathering on the outside of the rock creating a thin skin of something that un you know caused a force balance to not where i I didn't believe that at all. It made no sense. Okay. Like something was keeping it squeezed. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the most plausible thing that I read is because this sill formed several kilometers deep mm -hmm. uh, and then was exhumed 
mm-hmm. that that's the cause of the internal stress. I mean, that makes sense, but you would think that since they're boulder size, that that would have already been alleviated. Right, because we don't see anything like a rock burst here. Right. And they've already been broken apart by frost redging. Right. Well, so the, are the dead ones more like veined or something like that? Do they show more? I didn't fracturing? really find much on it. Wow, that is. Um, and super from cool. what I can tell, even searching the current literature, we don't really know. Hmm. Uh, nobody has nobody has bothered to make a case for why we need to spend money to figure this out. Uh, why not? I mean, those. Well, no, I mean the the sliding rocks of the racetrack rocks in Death Valley. That was semi-citizen scientist i mean not really but that figured it out right hmm that is so strange how big is this boulder field why have i not heard of this uh it's inside a state park so not huge huge. man it's so cool yeah Hmm. and there are some decent odd weathering patterns i would say okay um kind of a scallopy pitting potholy texture on some of the rocks Mm -hmm. so maybe that's got something to do with why they got this internal stress because of the odd (gasps) non-surface energy minimizing shape oh man i just looked at this intense pitting weathering and it's like that looks like a dolomite yeah very interesting to me Okay, cool. Uh, one of these locations is called Devil's Potato Patch. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh. Well, there's the Devil's, um, like the Devil's Golf Field or whatever in Death Valley, so this makes sense. Devil's in mm-hmm. rocks. Why is this always? Hmm. <laughs> they're hot, they're fiery. I don't know. I guess. Interesting. Oh, man. There's so much to be done. Like, does that weathering determine which ones are dead and which ones are not? So. Well, we need a field trip. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, like, how many are musical in any given patch, then? Okay, we need a long field trip. (laughs) And a lot of hammers. Man, that's so cool. I can't believe I haven't heard of this. Yeah, something in my mind when we were trying to figure out what to talk about this week, and I remember we said we're going to talk about weird (laughs) phenomena, something in my mind triggered that I had heard about this, and so I did a little bit of research on it and thought, you know, if one casual experiment by somebody in the 60s is all we know about this, it sounds like something we need to talk (laughs) about. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... You said we were going to talk about this, and none of it rang a bell for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I also found out that there is a, it is a term, lithophone. Oh, my gosh. For musical making backs. a musical instrument out of rocks. Uh, of course it is. There's a term for everything. everything. Well, what's really impressive is I see pictures of, like, uh, stone marimbas. <gasps> okay stone xylophones so people take these ringing rocks to 
they, they take them serious. That's awesome. I mean, I guess I've seen ocarinas made out of stone too. So you know. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's definitely going to be my next Google search with phones. Right. How well, when you're uh, when you're out in the field and you see these kind of things, yeah. You know, who was the uh, the author that said you can't be a good geologist and a good driver? <laughs> <laughs> Every one of my old geology professors. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, which is a very true statement. And that takes us right into this week's Fun Paper Friday. Yay. This might be, so I will say that this might be the most practical one we've ever done. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> and the title is The Proof of Innocence. Um, by Kriakov? Yep. Kriakov, yeah, that's what I would say. Okay. Dmitry Kriakov. Oh, man, this is great. So this is how to get out of a speeding ticket, right? <laughs> yep, so the author was uh, pulled over for <laughs> failing to stop at a stop sign. And he says, no, I did stop at the stop sign. The police officer says, no, you didn't. And guess who's going to get believed in that situation? Oh, my gosh. So he proceeded to write a four-page manuscript showing a mathematical proof that from the angle the officer was looking at and the passing-by car, that it would appear that he didn't when, in fact, he did. <laughs> I, I love this so much. Um, my first master's student had a similar situation, except for he was completely in the wrong. Um, but he definitely showed a lot of things about how to calibrate like a speed gun and ask for proof of the last calibration of said speed gun that gave him his ticket. And yeah, definitely got out of a ticket using math once. <laughs> oh yes. Back before uh, they had the laser speed guns when it was still radar, uh, you could, the radar would return the speed of the largest thing in its field of view. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you got by a train, you could, fly and all that the radar gun is going to show is the speed of the train uh-huh exactly uh you can also say well there's cosine air and explain that too oh man <laughs> but yes yeah, so uh now that we're, we're we're bordering on legal something here uh yeah so he said well i did stop but i see how you think i didn't because i stopped and started again pretty quickly and there was a car passing between us, and that made it look like I didn't stop. And the guy said, that makes no sense. Right. <laughs> so mathematically feasible, maybe. I don't know that I buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. we're, we're talking about some pretty, pretty punchy accelerations here and decelerations. <laughs> like decelerations yeah. on the order of a G to make this work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if a squirrel came out in front of you. Um, I love that, you know, he's driving this Toyota Yaris, and then the Subaru Outback is the one in between them. And so it's funny to me that you have to take into account the length of the two vehicles. <laughs> like, this dude was mad about this ticket. <laughs> well, and he says, DK was badly sick with a cold on that day. In fact, he was sneezing while approaching the stop sign. As a result, he involuntarily pushed the brakes very hard. Uh, 
<laughs> Therefore, we can assume that the deceleration was close to the maximum possible for a car, which is the order 10 meters per second squared, oh. or 22.36 miles per hour per second, which is the most unholy unit I've seen this week. <laughs> I can't even believe you would convert that. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> also, like I said, order of a G deceleration. Yeah, no kidding. Did you also hit your head on the steering wheel? I'm guessing. Right. Uh, <laughs> this person, so the conclusion is so good. In summary, police officer X made a mistake, confusing the real space-time trajectory of car C1. <laughs> Oh, that just cracks me up. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yep. However, this mistake is fully justified and made possible by a combination of the following factors. And he goes on to list those. Uh-huh. As a result of this unfortunate coincidence, the officer's perception of reality did not properly reflect reality. <laughs> yeah, that goes over real well when you're explaining that. Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> I would love to know if this worked or if this was just venting after having to pay the fine i know yeah i yeah this was super funny though and also sort of one of those real world things right why do i have to learn math well maybe you're gonna get out of a ticket because you can prove this kind of stuff (laughs) well and you know i will say too though that there are certainly instances where i think people get tickets because of things that are illusions Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that's absolutely right. We had this we had this conversation today. As you walk into our office here at Field Camp, there's four of those sort of pendency lights on the ceiling. And if you look at it from one door or the other, we were arguing about how out of square they were. And it turns out they weren't at all. It was just a complete illusion. It was very interesting. The yeah. thing the things you'll do to avoid grading maps. <laughs> <laughs> and that thing was getting the laser. And the measuring tape, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good use of geophysical equipment. That's exactly right. The only use, proving people wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it was funny. I was just talking to someone in construction today, and they were going on about how how terrible GPR is every time they've had to have it used and how it's all just interpretation and, you know, one little wiggle could mean this or it could mean that and they don't really know and they can't tell you how far away it is or what it is, but they can tell you there might be something there, maybe. Um, you know, I said, well, that's, that, that is geophysics. Yeah, exactly. So learn how to interpret and make good arguments because that's all that matters. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. And then... <laughs> If you're if you're lucky, nobody will ever drill a core to find out that ever you were wrong. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> oh man! So in our intro to field class that we have, geophysicists have to take that class too, and they always get mad about why they have to do mapping geology, and that's exactly what I tell them. I'm like, you just need to know when your geologist isn't as smart as you are, and this class teaches you how to recognize those things. <laughs> <laughs> That's the geophysicist in me coming out when I say that. <laughs> I still really think that a geophysics uh, target camp, if you will, with known targets and even some real geology, but with a well-drilled and cored. Oh, yeah. 
mm-hmm. is exactly what's needed. Yeah, I, I actually read a thing that someone had been doing this foreign camp. It was a very interesting experiment. I think it only happened over a couple of summers because they were actually collecting core for a purpose. But yeah, it's important to be able to do this stuff in the field. I was also talking about how much fun I had in the class that we met in, the sort of advanced geophysical methods, field methods class. I thought that was a really cool idea of a class, you know, just going out, mastering an instrument. And yeah, yeah, it's really important for students to get data and touch it, not just, you know, esoterically think about it. And not homework data sets where everything makes sense. Exactly. So this is, we're having this issue tonight. Like we're discussing, which was fun. It was a fun argument with some students just about. (laughs) Any argument can be fun. (laughs) Ah, That's so true. (laughs) Especially when you're the professor. Uh, (laughs) About how, yeah, there's not an answer. They're getting super frustrated because all these papers they were researching weren't giving answers. I'm like, yeah. Welcome to geology. It's not an exact science. Yep. <laughs> oh, I love saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you have your own driving story or data story, or if you've been to Ringing Rocks or any other interesting geological or meteorological phenomena that we should talk about this summer, we want to hear about it. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? You can get a hold of us, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. We are also at geo underscore Lehman and at Shannon Doolin. Uh, sometimes we're hanging out in the Slack chat room. You can find us there. And also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support us, you may do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funders.